Welcome into Hardcore Penn State Football. Perhaps a shorter show today. We'll, we'll wait and see. Perhaps a shorter show. Going to talk about Penn State spring practice. Going to talk about a little bit, at least, about what transpired today on Wednesday, March 22nd, with uh, Shrewsbury leaving the Penn State basketball program. And, and maybe just talk about how that affects the athletic department as a whole. And we have a lot of fan questions to answer, so we're going to dive deep into those. We'll be right back with you in a second. Enjoy the audio. Welcome to Hardcore Penn State Football. I'm Corey Lestoki. With me, as always, the great Sean Kane. How are you doing today, Sean? Well, Corey, I took a nap next to my lovely girlfriend. And I woke up, and it was a refreshing nap, and then reality, and then I went on my phone and our new reality set in, and that's that Michael Shrewsbury is no longer Penn State's basketball coach, and that sucks. That makes it a very um, below-average Wednesday. But how are you? I'm feeling good. Uh, don't know if people know this. Like I'm sure we've talked about it before, but I've been in Pennsylvania for almost – a month, actually. It's like tomorrow, I think, would be a month. Or uh, almost, uh, three three weeks. So, I don't know if people have ever, like, been on the road before for work and stuff like that. But being away from home and, like, trying to keep to your routine of what you do, it's very, very difficult. And so, we I have not been as active on Twitter. Obviously, YouTube has slowed down a little bit. TikTok posting has slowed down a little bit. Um, just not in your normal routine where you get X, Y, and Z done um, because you're not at home as much. And so that's just kind of been how it's been, but I will be home soon. And uh, we will be back into the thick of things. Sean and I have already kind of discussed, we're going to kind of have a pretty big blowout show next week. Just instead of, I think last year we just did 
We talked about every single position like once a week. I think next week we're just going to talk about all of the positions and just have one big. We'll have a lot of spring practice under our belt at that point, and we're just going to really dive into every single position. Um, so that's going to be that's going to be a really fantastic. So that's kind of why we're saying maybe a shorter show tonight because we're going to really bring the action next week uh, when I'm when I'm situated at home and not in a guest bedroom. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be dope. Um, so, you know, you'll be saying Sweet Home Alabama soon. Yeah, yeah. Well, I will be saying no more to Sweet Home Alabama not too much longer after that. That's so, right. We'll be up. Very excited for that. Very excited for that. Um, you're watching YouTube. I'm sorry that I'm a little grayed out. Kind of looked like I'm. My spirit has left with Shrewsbury to go to Notre Dame. Um, yeah. I hope but, that's not happening. No, I am not. I can break the news now, Sean. I am not going to Notre Dame with Michael Shrewsbury. Okay. We can't no, confirm that. No hardcore Notre Dame football. <laughs> <laughs> they probably wouldn't like the name. That would probably not fall into their Catholic. They'd probably think hardcore, uh-huh. and they'd be like, no hardcore stuff here. And that's the other thing. Just Notre Dame. And... I knew there was going to be a Notre Dame rant at some point. Yeah, did they... I thought we were going to get further than five minutes into the show. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, I of course I hate Notre Dame basketball, but it's not the same level as Notre Dame football because they don't they don't care as much about Notre Dame basketball. But it's just depressing. I mean, I wouldn't want him to go anywhere. Then he goes to Notre Dame. Yeah. So, so this is, uh, anyway, let's we, just we were it. a uh, we were a Penn State hardcore Penn State basketball for a little bit, and so I do want to say, hey, congrats to the, the Nittany Lions. They won an NCAA tournament game, which is just which is fantastic, right? So I mean, don't want to lose that in all of this because Penn State won an NCAA tournament game, which if you would have told me two months ago, I would have said no way that was even possible. So um, just fantastic, right? I mean, hadn't done that since 2001. I mean, in our lifetime, Penn State, I believe, has only won two tournament games, at least in my thinking years, right. too. Yep. So yep. Um, that's just crazy that we've seen, you know, well, we've seen two, but really only have seen one since we've been adults which is just kind of crazy. So uh, I, I don't want to lose sight of that too much because to be honest with you, depending on what happens, and we're about to get into Patrick Kraft, I'm sure in a second, but depending on who they hire, Penn State could potentially not be back for another 10 years, and maybe they won't win another one for another 22 years. So what, you know, I, I do want to appreciate what, what we got to see because it was exciting. It was fun to have a good basketball team in March. So yeah, that was that was that was that was cool. It was fun to be hardcore Penn State basketball for a little bit there. Yeah, it was, and you know I follow the basketball team all the time. I mean, we don't talk about them as much, but I mean we still follow it. Like we keep up on the basketball team all the time, and um, I think it it, it just sucks because we have our best team in a long time a long long time and then you lose the coach and it just kind of goes into Penn State basketball being the factory of sadness that 
and like could we just have nice things and I don't know man maybe maybe we can't I don't know I don't know um I think we I mean maybe the in, and I think the biggest problem probably is the infrastructure at the university and I think that might come out in the wash as to why Shrews left you know how much NIL um commitment could they get and how much interest would there be and I think that might ultimately be with Didison plus true being from South Bend, Indiana uh, and living a long, you know, a big amount of his life in South Bend. So that also hurt. I mean, the, you know, the timing of Mike Bray departing from Notre Dame hurt Penn State. Um, but yeah, I mean, no matter how you slice it, this is, this is a bad day for Penn State basketball. And Penn State basketball has just had a string of good things, which is rare, but it feels like we're right back to where we were. Uh, the roster is going to look completely different next year, no matter who the coach was going to be. Now it's definitely going to be completely different. We're going to lose some commits. Shrewsbury's kid, I'm sure, is going with them to Notre Dame. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see if we can keep Booth uh, committed, but. Uh, it's what makes the next coaching hire so important. And I'll remind our uh, listeners that I know it's I know it's a completely different sport. I know it's <laughs> I know it's different, but stick with me. When Bill O'Brien left, there wasn't a big exodus of guys when James Franklin came in because James Franklin showed he could coach somewhat, at least somewhat, at Vanderbilt. Like he did an excellent job there. We weren't sure he was going to do it a bigger program like Penn State, but we saw that he could win. He could win, you know, some games. She showed he could be competent. And that's why I think getting the next coach right was so vital and making sure that he has the resources to be successful. Yeah. We tweeted, or I tweeted, that... I guess it was a week ago that this was a big litmus test for Patrick Kraft. And he had said all of the right things up to this point. And I think some people maybe drank the Kool-Aid too much on the, I mean, of course he's going to say the right things, but he showed the passion. He showed kind of exactly what Penn State fans wanted to see in Sandy Barber that they never got. Like he was checking all of those boxes from a, from a passion standpoint, from a, just kind of being a fan first perspective on things. And I think fans really gravitated towards that. And I think that's why ultimately he's going to have a lot of success as Penn State's athletic director. But this was his first test. And was it all him? No. It's decades of disappointment and lack of attention and apathy towards the basketball program. But was the athletic director. He's, it's not like he got here yesterday. He's been here for quite a bit of time now, and he's, he has definitely put more emphasis on that program. But even in December, he said that they wanted to make a commitment. They were committed to keeping him. And whether he tried his hardest or not, which I think he tried pretty hard, they did not get him. And to me, that's a failure. That whatever reason you want to write, you know, going back home, more money, 
not good enough NIL deals, not a good enough facilities, whatever the real reason was, which I'm sure it wasn't just one and one alone. Shrewsbury is no longer Penn State's coach, and that is a failure by the athletic department. For whatever reason you want to say it is, that's just how it is. And that was his first real test. Now, you can say that and still believe he's going to do the right things moving forward. But first, first obstacle, first hurdle, didn't quite clear it. Didn't quite clear it. And people probably wonder, well, why are we talking about this? This is not Penn State football related. I think it's important to know, and we're never going to know, right? Old Main is going to keep it pretty hush-hush as far as what was truly offered. I mean, we never even learned Shrewsbury's contract while he was at Penn State at any point. But we're never going to know the specifics. We're never going to know how much they really tried to go get him. We've heard words like lucrative deal and, oh, this is more about, well, of course they're going to say that. They're not going to come out and say, yeah, we were cheap about it. They're not going to say that. Well, where have you been for the last 20 years if you think Penn State is going to just come out and say, yeah, Notre Dame offered us more, you know, offered him more money than us. So I guess that's the end. But they're not going to, if they have any way of kind of letting the fans down a little bit, you know, softly, they're going to do it. And so, I mean, I cannot believe the amount of, oh, he's going back home. No one's fault. It's not a crash fault. You can tell yourselves that all you want. And I think that's, I, I get the hometown thing, but that does not alleviate everyone from the excuses and there's plenty of blame to go around and so the point is moving forward in other sports how is the athletic department how is old main how is the board of trustees we just had jay paterno on who's running for re-election how do they handle not just basketball but football moving forward do Let's just give the benefit of the doubt to the huge craft defenders, which, by the way, we're not against craft, but I'm sure people will think that after this. Um, let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say craft was 100% on board. He wanted to drop the bag for Shrewsbury. He wanted to drop the bag for NIL. He wanted to drop the bag for facilities. He wanted to give him everything that Shrewsbury wanted. And let's just say that an old main administration board. For, Everybody else was like, nope, this is not going to do it. Sorry, you don't have that level of support yet. How is that going to change? How is that going to be any different when it comes to, to Penn State football, Sean? I mean, what, what what is the difference really going to be? And so here becomes the battle, right? It, it, Kraft was kind of on the sidelines, talking the talk. He is now on the field, and he's playing the game. And it's team athletic building on one side and it's administration board of trustees on the other and he's gotta he's gotta play the game now sean and he's in the middle of it and and this is a good example this is the illustration of what's to come in my opinion as far as what craft is going to have to battle in order to keep penn state football afloat moving forward well that's always, pardon me. Yeah, that's always been the um, battle, right? I mean, supposedly, like, what does the what does the athletic director want versus what does the administration want? What does the board of trustees want? What are they willing to pony up? And 
I think you can make more of a case that they would be a lot less inclined to be cheap toward football because football is the cash cow. And people people do care more about football. Penn State football has been a premier program. I mean, some years, some year, you know, basically a premier program since the early 70s, late 60s. And that means they're generations of fans. Micah Shrewsbury, I mean, I mean, I don't want to say he was trying to build something, but let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Say he was trying to build something uh, at Penn State. How much did he want to be here? I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to that. But he, you know, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. He really wanted this to work, and for one reason or another, it 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 didn't. I mean, it is hard. It is way harder to build something than maintain something. And um, he was building really from scratch. I mean, that's what he inherited. He inherited a a mess, a mess and a half of a program because because of the administration being neglectful, because of decades of bad coaching um, that the administration let go on because they didn't have any standards for for their coach. I mean, they. They let Pat Chambers stay here, in my mind, four years longer than he needed to be. I, At the latest, I would have fired him after they won the NIT. Everybody acted like that was some big deal. I mean, that team should have, that team could have been a Sweet 16 team, and they ended up going to the NIT. I mean, they, they won the NIT. You want me to throw you a party? I mean, it, there's no parades for the NIT. I'm sorry. And, um... You know that might make people mad, but I it, it, it when you have a team that could have went to the Sweet 16 and you end up just winning the NIT and beating a bunch of mediocre teams that couldn't even qualify for the tournament, I'm sorry, I'm not overly impressed with that. Um, <clears throat> that's a bit of a tan- side. That's a bit of a side tangent. Wait, um, uh, before you get to your uh, to include to finish off the side tangent, you tweeted that the other day. And so I was at the Bruce Springsteen concert this weekend, and I was looking at the banners, and the women's only have NIT banners that they won the championship for. They do not have NIT appearances. So I would think that's a that's a very good way to do it. You win the NIT, that's one thing. You're not putting up second-round finish in the NIT on there. So I thought I, – I, I think that's the appropriate way to do it. And you know something, guys? Like, okay, the banners – all right, if you want to put the NIT championship in, sure. We have NIT appearance and spanners in the crowd. That's where our standard is. That That's where it is. And that's where a lot of people at Old Main standard is when it comes to the basketball program. I think that's pathetic. I mean, we could, you know, if you want to keep the NIT championship banners up there, okay. NIT appearance. I mean, guys, do you know teams laugh at us for that? And they should. Like, if it was Pitt, we'd be laughing at them. And if they do laugh at us for that, they have every right to. Because that, that that's pathetic. That's sad to have NIT appearances banners. And it is hard for a guy like Micah Shrewsbury to overcome a university that puts value in NIT appearances. And um, if there isn't that commitment for NIL, for the facilities, for his salary and his assistant salaries, 
then yeah, I mean, I understand why he left. I wish he wasn't going to Notre Dame. I wish he was still going to be here, but I get it. And and look with Kraft. Look, I'll finish with this. What would your what would you be saying if Sandy Barber was in the same position Patrick Kraft is in? Would everybody be people be giving him a pass? Would people be saying she deserves no no? Would they be giving her a pass? Would people be saying he deserves zero percent blame for for losing Shrewsbury? Does does anybody really believe anybody would be saying that? Oh, so let's be real. And all these reports of Penn State they offered him a lucrative deal, and Penn State was gonna give him all these commitments. Who keep keep something important in mind when you're reading media reports in it? Think about one th- question. Who's leaking it? Is it the university leaking it to cover their ass? Or is it is it true? Is it someone in Shrewsbury's camp leaking it? I bet you I, I don't have a lot of money, so I'm not gonna bet my next paycheck. I'll bet you a dollar that um it was the university trying to cover their ass. So Keep that in mind when you see these reports that, oh, they gave him a great deal. And they, they, they probably offered him a raise and everything. I'm not saying they didn't offer him nothing. But if you can't match Notre Dame, who just cheaped out and hired Marcus Freeman, and they couldn't even pull the offensive coordinator from Utah, and Notre Dame football is their cash cow, if we got outbid by them, that means our offer just wasn't at all sufficient. In my opinion, I could be wrong, but that's what my hunch is. Right. And to to get back to Penn State football, I I pose this thing too. a lot of people said, right. Oh, well, he's going back to Indiana. He he played, you know, coached here and he played there. and, And that's all true. I get it. But if you put that much emphasis on staying home and being in your home state, which, okay, that's fine. Doesn't it kind of terrify you, Sean, of where this athletic program, athletic department and his football program specifically would be if James Franklin wasn't from Pennsylvania? Like, think about it. I yeah. mean, he he practically drug this athletic department out of the Stone Ages when it came to certain things because he wanted to be at Penn State. I mean, if what if he just was like, you know what, this is just really not my worth my time. I could have went to USC. I could have went to LSU. I could have went... You know, at this point, I feel like he Florida. I mean, who knows all the things, rumors that there were uh, at the time. And he didn't have to do any of that. And I'm just like, imagine if he wasn't from Pennsylvania. Like, how how bad were we at keeping coaches? Would we even have gotten anyone else to the James Franklin level if it wasn't for him being from Pennsylvania? And that made me think, like, Wow, we we really lucked out for two reasons on James Franklin. Number one, he's done a fantastic job. Number two, across the board, not just for football, he has helped the athletic department wake up, realize what they need to do in order to be successful in this day and age. And I think that really, you could argue when it's all said and done, what you know, if they win a national championship, okay, maybe that's a bigger impact. But you could argue right now that's been Franklin's biggest impact winning I mean think about it this way Sean if it wasn't for that Marcus Allen blocked field goal return for a touchdown 
If it wasn't for that play, you could argue Penn State Athletics as a whole is is not even close to where they are, right? Because that gave Franklin the ammunition to get what he wanted. And if that doesn't happen, I mean, you might not even be talking about having a Shrewsbury even ever at Penn State. So um, I do want to say the athletic department, we tweeted this a couple of times. I don't think we ever said this. They have been reinvesting more and more money in the basketball program, uh, but very much still behind a lot of other programs. Uh, so I don't know. It just made me think from a wider perspective, Sean, right? Because we're getting into spring ball now. Um, renovations for Beaver Stadium are, are right around the corner. A, a lot of things that need to be done um, need to happen because it's not just a football thing. It's a Penn State athletics is kicking butt right now across a lot of different sports. Wrestling just won another national championship, which we probably should have mentioned at the beginning of this. Um, Men's volleyball is doing extremely well. I saw softball just beat Pitt. Penn State baseball is actually doing better than usual. And then you have all your other sports that they're typically really good at. Uh, Lacrosse, men's and women's is doing really well again. I mean, Penn State is doing really good work on the field. And I guess my perfect example of this, Sean, is, is the women's soccer field, Jeffrey Field. Like that need, That was supposed to be done like a decade ago, I think. And it hasn't been done. And those women have won Big Ten championships and national champion, final four appearances, all sorts of stuff for like a decade. I think they won the national championship my freshman year. And they haven't gotten really what they deserved either. So I really think it's football has to lead the charge. And I get that. But man, oh, man. Where where would things be if it wasn't for that Big Ten championship that, that, that James Franklin and company won in 2016? I mean, it's a terrifying thought. Yeah, and it still took him years and years to get <clears throat> everything he wants. Now, James Franklin, as any coach would, he would still argue that he has that he doesn't have everything he wants. But every coach is going to say that. Uh, but it's the, the situation with the football program is way better than it was. Like the assistant salary pool, for example, where some people say top five in the country. I, I don't know if I firmly believe that, but I think we're up there. I mean, you don't get Mike Yersich and Manny Diaz on your staff if you're not way up there. So that was something that was a struggle. That Even that was like pulling teeth at Old Main when we were losing uh, Josh Gaddis to a lateral job and Charles Huff to a lateral job. Um, so, yeah, I mean, even the football team has had, has had a lot of struggles with Old Main. And... Um, yeah, I think James Franklin is a huge driving force in bringing us forward. Uh, still didn't bring us forward enough to be able to keep Mike Shrewsbury, but maybe we hire somebody, somebody good uh, after this. And um, I know that the, the team, uh, the now former members of the team, have really been pushing Adam Fisher. Uh, for those of you who don't know who Adam Fisher is, he's the current assistant coach at Penn State. At Penn State, and he's coached at Miami previously under Jim Laranaga. Uh, I believe he coached at Villanova too uh, under Jay Wright. So I mean, he's been around great coaches. Uh, he's never had a head coaching job. He's been he he's a Penn State alum too. Which, for those of you who are worried about keeping him, which I understand, that helps too. 
I mean, I would like to make a splash higher. I would go after, um, I think his first name, I, uh, it's Coach McDermott out at Creighton. Um, I mean, he would probably be my first call. I don't know if he'd want to come out here. <laughs> He's never coached around here before, but he would be one of the first people I call. Um, but I think Adam Fisher, in my mind, has to be the favorite right now. Yeah, yeah, I just saw that Penn State did release a statement. Patrick Kraft released a statement 30 minutes ago. I'm just going to read that on. This is from the athletic director, Patrick Kraft. Um, This afternoon, Penn State heads men's basketball coach Michael Shrewsbury called to inform me that he was leaving the university to accept a position at another institution. We thank Micah for his contributions to the Penn State community and wish him the very best. We are already moving forward in a search for a new head coach and will identify and appoint a tremendous coach, teacher, and person who will take us to unprecedented heights. We are so proud of our amazing, talented student-athletes and all they accomplished this year and will in the future. We are also so appreciative of our student body and our passionate fans who support our basketball program, end quote. So outstanding person part, that means no Rick Pitino. Yeah, and unless Penn State's joining the SEC, then there's no rules. Yes, that is true. Um, uh, yeah, the Adam Fisher thing, I mean, I think that would be, I don't know. I'm not a basketball person to know enough about it. That's a good, if that's the best Penn State can do. But um, there seems to be some support for it. Well, uh, I guess we'll just have to wait and see there. But um we already talk football, football. We are hardcore Penn State football. So we are. let's talk about what our bread and butter is, Mr. Wilstoke. Um, oh, I was going to start by saying, oh, what I wanted to start with, because there's no better transition than transitioning to Sean Clifford. Did you see that? So the NFL, I guess, is allowed three one-hour Zoom meetings with players leading up to the draft. You get three of them, from my understanding. And Denver used one of those three to talk to Sean Clifford. Did you see that? I think you might have sent it to us which is in our group chat, which was interesting. I mean... I mean, I, I don't... I mean, I don't really know what to make of that. Though. I don't. I have no idea. Just breeze with them, or? I mean, just wanted to talk to him, or yeah. I mean, what do you talk about for an hour? I'm trying to find the tweet again. How his business is going? <laughs> <laughs> no, but in all no, seriousness, no, I, mean, I mean, honestly. The, Probably about being a scout team quarterback, if I had to guess. I mean, it, it, you know, me stop being a smart ass. That's probably what it is. Like, what you know, they probably asked them maybe to do some chalk stuff. I mean, you'd want to do that in person, but they probably, but they didn't get the chance to do it at the combine. So probably stuff like that. You know, seeing how Brady is, because I'm sure they're interested a, a lot, as are a lot of other teams, and maybe picking him up either in the seventh round or as an undrafted free agent. 
that's a good point. I never thought about using those zooms for the people that you didn't get to talk to at the combine. Yeah, like honestly, that's probably it. Um, because they just didn't have the chance to interview him. And look, one thing we could say about Cliff, I'm sure he's gonna interview well. And right. I'm sure people are really going to like him. And he could he could talk chalk, I'm sure, with anybody. And <clears throat> You know, having a scout team quarterback who's able to simulate different offenses and to have the mind to be able to simulate different offenses uh, is invaluable. So uh, there, there's there are going to be teams, <coughs> excuse me, uh, interested in in his services uh, just just for that, and maybe maybe someday he comes back. Let's talk about your dolphin leaving the Miami Dolphins and heading to the Patriots. Mike Gusecki signs a deal with the New England Patriots. I mean, I I can't believe he made it through the whole season at at Miami, but he did. Uh, He had some really nice things to say about Miami. But uh, staying in the division, Sean, how does that make you feel? He's a traitor. (laughs) No, I'm just messing around. But um, it sucks seeing him in that. Patriots sweatshirt when he was signing that contract it's hard to look at just because I as a Penn State fan and as a Dolphins fan I've gone what now eight years following the team Mike Kosicki's on Uh, four years at Penn State and then another is it now four or five years with the Dolphins so it sucks I mean I didn't expect Kosicki back I didn't really particularly want him back either, both for us and for them and for him, because, I mean, he just doesn't fit that San Francisco style offense that Mike McDaniel runs. It's just not what he it's just not what he does. Like there are long stretches of games where he wasn't on the field because he just doesn't fit. He's a square. He's a square peg in a round hole. Uh, But I didn't want to see him go to the Patriots. And. I mean, I, I'm mentally preparing myself for the possibility of Joey Porter Jr. also going to the Patriots or the Steelers, and I don't know which one would be worse for my um, <laughs> hatred. <laughs> what um, I saw Nick Scott signed with Cincinnati, which was a big deal. He got a lot of oh, money. Oh, I didn't out of that. see that. I knew yeah. he left L.A. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, he got a deal there. Um, and then Miles Sanders, I think, literally was reported. Last week, as we were ta- like right before we went on went on live, but if you guys missed that somehow, he's with Carolina. And interesting quote there. He said it was nice to be somewhere where you felt appreciated. I don't know if you saw that quote or not. <laughs> I didn't, but uh, I could imagine him saying that uh, coming from Philadelphia. Uh, I have a couple other housekeeping items. I wanted to say. Um, We'll get into the press conference stuff in a second or, or media day stuff and, and practice stuff. Penn State did secure a preferred walk-on from an offensive lineman from Alabama, which, again, I don't know how a preferred walk-on chooses from Alabama chooses Penn State, but that was Henry – oh, goodness. Henry Bo, Bomey? Just going to say the H is silent there. B-O-E-H-M-E, Bomey? I Bo- actually – did not see that. So I'm here. That's why I'm here. Uh, six cool foot six two. What was that? I said cool with me. Yeah, six foot six, two hundred and seventy pounds. So 
Um, anyway, I just can't believe from Stony Stone Mountain Stone something Mountain Brook High School. Maybe he knows you. Maybe I, I gotta see. Let me see what that is. But yeah, anyway, I wanted to mention that because obviously that's cool. And then we can talk. Penn State practice media day stuff. Um, next, the first thing I was going to say, Sean, about that was Penn State has some spots open um, for analysts, GAs as well, still. And I'm, so, uh, be interesting I'm to applying. see. You're applying? Okay, sweet. Um, I'm going to be the inside source. You already are the inside source. <laughs> okay, so it's just actually just outside of Birmingham. So actually it isn't that far from me, if you're curious. Um, no, so I'll be interested to see where they go, because obviously the one Wizard Hunt went to uh to Alabama. And so they've got some they've got some wiggle room there. Torrance Brown, we mentioned last time, is back as a GA. Sean, are you ready to talk about what Franklin had to say? Because there's one thing I don't have a bunch to talk about, but there's one thing I think we really need to talk about, and that's wide receivers. Yes, I was gonna I was gonna mention the same thing. So Franklin, I should probably read exactly what was quoted because I don't want to mess this up or put words in his mouth, but kind of kind of interesting what he said here. We just scroll through all our tweets talking about. You see, Joe Moorhead's son visited Michigan. By the way, I did see that. I did see that. I think he's class of 2026. So, wouldn't be surprised to see if we get him on campus as well. Okay, this is what James Franklin said on Keandre Lambert Smith. "Quote: He's been really good so far this spring. We need him to be the guy, a true number one. Trey Wallace has also had a really nice spring camp so far." We've got to figure out who that third guy is going to be, end quote. What the heck did that come from, Sean? I mean, to me, that is like, that's breaking news, in my opinion. Like, we went into the spring saying maybe KLS is number one. He's penciled in at number one. But Trey Wallace, Dante Cephas, who will arrive in May, Malik McLean, all the young guys. And here we are in the spring, and and Franklin's saying, "Hey, like DeAndre Lambert Smith's number one guy he needs to act like it." That that to me was very very shocking. Yeah, it could be, you know, lighting a bit of a fire under under his butt, uh, which which I get. Um, you know, maybe, and it could just be as simple as maybe KLS had a mediocre day of practice, and Franklin's kind of a little irritated with them. Um, it is interesting that he did mention that him and Trey, I mean, the Trey Wallace is the number two guy. I think that's, that's significant too. Um, but you know, it's, it's important to know too, that Dante Cephas isn't here yet. And I am wondering how he's going to factor into everything. And I know he said some nice things about Malik McLean too. So I got to imagine that number three guy will probably be, you know, those two guys are going to be in contention. Uh, and another guy to keep an eye on 
because they did seem to have a bit of a rapport when Allard came into the games last year. I think is Liam Clifford. I think he could see Liam get quite a bit of time this year. Um, you know, uh, they, there's a lot of different guys there, but there's no doubt about it. Like Clifford and Aller, Clifford the Younger, had uh, some had some real chemistry, and um, yeah, I would watch out for that. Uh, another guy to keep an eye on that got that got looked over a bit last year. Maybe not looked over, but I just don't think he was ready to play with his play yet. Was Caden Saunders? I think uh, Stubblefield, before he departed from Penn State, mentioned that he had to get his body into shape. And then after that, I think leading up to the Rose Bowl, uh, Stubblefield mentioned that it's that, that he was getting to where he needed he needed to be. So I think Caden Saunders is going to contend for that third spot too. Yeah, we get into spring practice. Remember, this is Marcus Hagan's first spring practice with the team too. Yes. So this is the That's first true. time he's really seen these guys on the field. Um, do you think Liam Clifford can be the Lad McConkey equivalent for the Georgia Bulldogs? I'm thinking like a Wes Welker type, maybe a Julian so even better, even better than Lad McConkey. Maybe, yeah, maybe. Uh, what's that guy? What was that guy? A Slade Bolden. Um, Bama. Yeah, if you're trying to just go with white guys, though, I don't, I don't know. If, wasn't Bolden? I think Bolden was was Bol, was Bolden white. Yeah, Slade Bolden. I think he's a white guy. Let me make sure. I thought he might be mixed, but I don't know. Um, nah, he's he, he's. He's white. He's definitely whiter than me, and I'm white. <laughs> I thought you were, for a second there, you were trying to tell us that you were mixed. Um, no, no, no. <laughs> okay, well, good. Um, well, good. Breaking news, Liam Clifford about to be... No, I mean, in all seriousness, I mean, there did seem to be some serious rapport with, with Aller and Clifford, so something to pay attention to. I mean, I would love if Clifford is the guy that just kind of aggravates defenses, right? The Jared Aberderis. If you will, <laughs> but we'll see. Um, I just do think it's interesting that they. I thought that they would take a different approach with Keandre Lambert Smith. I thought they would go with uh, more of a. Oh, it's anyone's game, and you know, it's anyone's uh, you know spot to lose. It seems like they're kind of trying to instill confidence, or or, or I'm not really sure. Um, but they're they're not playing. They're kind of doing the opposite of what they're doing at the quarterback position to a certain degree. You know what I mean? They're trying to tell yeah. us that Drew Aller and Bo Previla are, are tied and there's a true battle for the quarterback position. We have a lot of fan questions to talk about that today. Um, and then for a receiver, they're like, Andrew Lambert-Smith, Trey Wallace, who's going to be the third guy? And I'm like, when has Franklin ever said anything like that, ever? Like, even last year, we didn't know for sure who was really the one, two, and now we're looking for a third guy. So I, that was kind of out of character for, for James Franklin, in my opinion. That, I, I said this is interesting on Twitter, and some guy just responded right away and said, I don't find this interesting. I'm like, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's not, that's such Twitter in a nutshell. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, the only time I remember, like, 
I remember Franklin being like definitively like this is the guy. It's when Blake Gillikin first got to Penn State. He's like, no, Blake's the putter. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, there is just there is no doubt about it. Um, but yeah, I mean, you and usually that is his mo because he wants to he wants to make everybody. He he's he's a big believer in making everybody feel uncomfortable, which I think you need to be. And he's big in the competition. He's big into uh, pushing really everybody. And so it is a little out of character for him to say what he said. Um, and maybe he's trying to motivate the guy. Maybe he's, maybe he's just trying to motivate the whole group. <laughs> because I could also read, because like we said, we could also read that as um, trying to motivate Keandre Lambert Smith as well. So he might just be might just be an overall motivation thing, and maybe he doesn't feel like he's getting enough from the receiver spot, or maybe we're we're way over reading it. Maybe we're just way over reading into everything. Just randomly got this attention from an article that this is how you know Big Brother's listening to you. Twitter article immediately popped up on my feed. Donovan Moorhead connects with Michigan program during visit. Plans to make multiple return trips in coming weeks. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's why, like, I always find it funny, like, when people are saying things such as, uh, you know, don't get TikTok because these the Chinese are going to spy on you. Guys, we're being spied on right now. <laughs> like, you, I, that's one of my big conspiracy theories is I think there's a reason why when you talk about something, stuff you just get randomly the Instagram ads literally do. You talk about, I don't know, talk about pair of Sperry's. Just I'll just say Sperry's three times fast, and I'll see if I get an Instagram ad at some point in the next day or two. And if I do, I'll yep. put it on Twitter. Um, we've talked about JFK assassination and aliens, I think, at some point, and now Big Brother in the last couple episodes. So we're, I think we're seeing our, our podcast really take shape of, of our identity. Um, I also want to say Franklin brought up. What do you think of the moon landing, Corey? Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, no. Red Hot Chili Pepper song? I think I get what's that song? Californication? Yeah. Um, Franklin did bring up early enrollees, said the three offensive linemen Anthony Dunka, Javen Williams. Alex Berkmeyer. By the way, I said Dunka correctly. I think I've got over that. I don't have the yips with his name anymore. It only took like three months. I just got to just go for it. When I slow down, it's when it gets bad. I add syllables. Uh, And then the two linebackers who are Tamir Robinson and Tony Roas. He said those guys are kind of really impressed so far. We thought the offensive lineman, obviously, kind of the, the, the centerpiece of this class were going to show up and they kind of have Javon Williams has been playing tackle behind Olu Fashino, maybe not directly behind, but he's been getting reps behind Olu Fashino. So that's something pretty cool. That's a good person to learn from. Um, and Tamir Robinson is still playing at the linebacker spot. He's still repping at linebacker. We thought maybe they'd move him to defensive end, but that has not happened yet. Sean. Yeah. And I think they should keep, I, when I watch him, 
uh, at least when I watched him in high school, I think he's a linebacker. He kind of reminds me a little bit of Cam Brown, uh, you know, just a lanky guy that I hope, but different from Cam Brown, I hope he doesn't get called for a personal foul every game. Um, that, that got a little old with him. Um, but yeah, when I watch, when I watch uh, Tamir Robinson, I think of him as a, <clears throat> as a linebacker. Um and yeah, I mean, the good thing about having a guy like Olu and an experienced line as we do is it's, it's only going to be beneficial to it's going to be beneficial to the to the young guys that we have on roster. Um, he also. Uh, yeah, so he also said he expects a leadership by committee approach, you know, after losing, uh, you know, all of our captains last year. And that tells me they're still working out who the leaders on the team are. And that's that's going to be an ongoing thing. That's going to be something that happens probably going into the year. And it's definitely something that has to be straightened out. And it's something that I have raised the alarm on for really since the Rose Bowl is who's going to replace all these guys as the captain, as the captains, and just overall leaders on the team. And a leadership by committee approach kind of makes sense right now. Um, interested to see how Drew Aller is going to be as a leader because he's a sophomore, so he's not, you know, the Grizzly senior who's seen it all and everything, but he is a signal caller. He, he, and he just had a Zoom call with the Denver Broncos. Who, <laughs> Sean Clifford? Yeah, sorry, you're, t- you're talking about Grizzly quarterback who's seen it all. Oh, yeah, 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 Grizzly uh, experienced quarterback. Grizzly Adams did have a beard. So was Sean Clifford. <laughs> um, yeah, like, who's going to, you know, it, it, I want to see how he's going to step up because, you know, I think of a guy like Trevor Lawrence, by his freshman year, he was already seen as a leader on the team. And if Drew is truly in that mold. I mean, that that comes with it. Just being able to take the bull by the horns and say, this is my team, and it's going to be my team, and I don't care if I'm only 19. I don't care if I'm only a sophomore. <clears throat> you know, I'm I'm the quarterback of this team. Um, Corey and I are skeptical about how real the quarterback competition is. Uh, I, I think we... I know for me, I, I don't think it's very real at all. <laughs> um, and frankly, I hope it's not real. But uh, um, I, I hope Aller is is ahead of Pabula. Um, But I would look for him to be a leader. Uh, Olufashinu. I mean, this guy might be a top 10 pick. Like, he better be displaying some leadership ability. Uh and he's he's and he's a guy that's been around a while. Uh, he hasn't played a whole lot of games, low key. But yeah, man, you have all these young guys learning behind you too. You better step up and be and be one of those leaders on offense. So yeah, Yursich was interviewed as well, and they said that both Bo Brabila and Drew Aller had shown the ability to lead by example. And I think that's good, but I'm always like, you can have some guys that lead by example, but you need guys also that are leading with their voices, right? Vocal leaders. Yep. Yep. And 
I think quarterback is a position where you cannot just be a lead by example guy. So I'm curious to see how that maybe develops moving forward. Do they still call him a, a work, you know, lead by example guy come the fall? Or is, has that maybe turned a corner? And I think I couldn't tell you who maybe it was Ben Jones interviewed him talking about being more of a vocal leader. Uh, maybe it was Audrey Snyder. I'm not sure. But but that was asked and, and he said he was working on it. So that's something maybe to keep an eye on. But I think the leadership is, is a really good one, Sean, to, again, pay attention to moving forward on, on all facets of the game. Right. There's a lot of besides linebacker. There's a lot of kind of opportunity for for. Some guys that are older, but not necessarily haven't been leaders yet because they had such great, fantastic leaders last year. So, Keaton Ellis, Zaki Wheatley, the Devon Ells, the Kaziah Izzards, the the Kalen King. Like, those guys didn't have to be leaders. Now they do. So, uh, even along the offensive line, right? Like, Hunter Norzad moved over to center. And Nick Dawkins is, is is competing with with him there at center as well. Is Hunter Norzad going to become a leader like Juice Scruggs was able to be? Um, that's something to keep an eye on because yeah, you can have Olu Fashionu as a leader as a left tackle, but you really need your center to be kind of a guy in the inside directing traffic, especially especially for a younger quarterback. So that should be interesting to see kind of where that stands. If Hunter Norzad is uh, voted as a captain, which I don't know if that's even really been talked about. Like Hunter Norzad's been talked about in that leadership discussion, but if Hunter Norzad is voted a captain come the fall, I think that is a really good sign for Penn State football. Just random thought to put, put in the piggy bank. Yeah, I mean, look, if you've ever played high school football, even you know the center is as much as you know the the quarter. You know, the, as much as the quarterback is the leader of that offense, the center is the second biggest leader on the offense. Like, he's the first guy out of the huddle when, when we're out, out of a huddle. Like, he calls the protections. Like, the center is extremely important in any offense, uh, just from a mental aspect and getting everybody um in line and like i said if you even play high school football you know that so yeah i mean hunter noise that's another guy he, and he's a he you know he's only been here two years but he's a fifth year senior so yeah he's one of those guys we need to step up to uh andre lambert smith who we've talked about um that there have been reports that he has you know he might have some maturity issues and um they're there's been Franklin innuendos that he does. So at a certain point, you got to, you got to get over it and you got to grow up and be the guy. And um, yeah, I, I'm looking for him to step up from a leadership perspective. Theo Johnson, what, what is he now? He's a senior, right? He'll be a junior, right? All right well, um, red shirt. Red shirt junior. Redshirt sophomore. He played four games his freshman year. No, redshirt junior. Redshirt junior. Yeah, then he's been here four years. So he's another guy. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of – what I'm saying is there are a lot of opportunities to be a leader on this team. And we need enough guys to be able to step up and do it. And if you're scared of 
not scared, but if, if there's one thing to be concerned about going into this year, I, I've thought for the longest time that leadership is one of them. Yeah, he, gosh, his true freshman season was in 2020. Which is just crazy. So, yeah, he, this is his, he could have left technically okay, last yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, let's 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 go to fan questions because we have a bunch. I'm probably not going to record these because just don't have the graphics ready. Sean, I'm just going to drop all of the fan questions regarding the quarterbacks, and then we can kind of just pick through how we want to pick through it because we have a lot of these questions. And these are some from last week because I don't think we got to the questions last week. So I'm just going to reel them off. Uh, hold your applause to the end. And these are just for quarterbacks. This is from... This is from Bloody Rams Horn. Do you see Prabula transferring out if he loses a quarterback job? This is from Aaron, friend of the show, longtime listener. How good of a sign for Drew Aller is that the staff can invest reps in three quarterbacks? We talked a little bit about that last time, actually. Lucas Power says, is Franklin flirting with a, with a two-quarterback system? And then we have... From Tony PSU 96, with Prabula and Aller being such different style quarterbacks, does that make it harder coming up with what our offense will look like for next year? Um, this one's from Einstein von Braun. Mr. Mr. Trying to get us in trouble. If I recorded this, we might be getting in trouble. Since Franklin said there is a real quarterback battle for QB1, and if Prabula beats out Drew Aller, does Aller jump in the portal immediately, or does he hang around until after the next season to see how things shake out? And then Cowboy Ribeye responded to him and said, what if I told you only Drew Aller literally getting on a rocket and flying to another planet would get Bo Perbila the starting job? I thought that was pretty funny. Um, and then Lucas Powers responded to that and said, he would jump into portal and then he'd go to Ohio State and then he'd beat our brakes off is exactly how that'd go. And that depressed me. So <laughs> all probably if if there if you haven't realized our DMs are, are, are not our DMs, our replies are filled with quarterback thoughts. And I mean, we already talked about how we don't think there's a true quarterback competition, but I mean, Sean, I don't think the offense is going to change. Although Prabula can run more, I, I don't think you're going to see something change drastically with the offense from what it has been. you agree with that? If Bo is the quarterback versus Aller? Just both of them going into next year. like Yeah, I mean, not not really. I mean, if, if Prabula... Wins to go in. Are there going to be more quarterback draws called, things of that nature? Yeah. But it doesn't mean that's not going to be in the playbook when Aller's the quarterback. Aller has shown some ability to wiggle a little bit. Um, I don't think we're going to ask him to run a whole lot. And we'd be asking Prabula to run more. But, yeah, I don't think anything would change too drastically. Like, maybe, like, when Aller would be in, too, we would drive the ball downfield a little more. 
I think the offense might be a little more open because there's literally, supposedly, not a throw that Drew Aller can't make. So that gives you a lot of flexibility with what you run. And maybe, you know, when Bo was in, we wouldn't drive the ball downfield. But, I mean, in the final analysis, guys, those are only a few different plays. So the offense itself, I don't think it's going to change a whole lot depending on who the quarterback is, no. Also, we said this last time, but I seriously just don't think they the only way they go to a Prabula Taysom Hill situation is if they can't run the ball. And I just feel like they're going to try to run the ball with Katron Allen, Nick Singleton. And if none of that's working, then maybe they go to some sort of wildcat situation, goal line thing they do with Ty Warren and, and see if, you know, maybe, you know, Something like that. I just don't think that's in the cards right off the bat. If they struggle, maybe they implement something down the road. But don't necessarily expect Penn State to struggle to run the ball uh, next year. But we'll have to wait and see there. I do think – I think a lot of people are trying, Sean, to, like, relate this to Hackenberg-McSorley. And I don't mean, like, bad Hackenberg. I'm not trying to say Drowler's hack, you know, bad Hackenberg. And Trace McSorley's the savior that's going to – Overbeal is a saver. It's going to lead them to the Big Ten Championship. But just from the sense of, like, athletic perspective, but I don't think that's really fair. Drew Aller, A, I think is, is, well, I don't know for sure, but I think he's a better passer than Christian Hackenberg. Um, even if they have the same arm strength, I think we've talked about this before. I think they rate quarterbacks better now out of high school than just having the right size and having the cannon arm. Like, Will Levis back when Drew, well, back when Hackenberg was, getting rated would, would have probably been a really high rated quarterback. So I think they just do a better job rating quarterbacks now, along with other intangibles and accuracy and things. So I think Drow is a better polished passer, but also more importantly to this comparison that I'm trying to make, Drew Aller, like you said, can run and run over people. He is not a statue back there. For the blog, he just had a pretty good, YouTube video on showing his ability to step up in the pocket and avoid that kind of press dip to shoulder, protect the football. We've seen him run over some people, maybe more than we would, would have liked. I mean, that one, I don't know what game it was, Sean, they used him as a battering ram. They, they never used Christian Hackenberg like that. So I, I think it's not fair to make that comparison. And we haven't really seen that much Bo Perbeel. Like I know people think he's scrappy and he, okay, that doesn't necessarily mean he's, you know, a fantastic runner. Like, Trace McSorley was a really good running quarterback. Like, it's one thing just to be athletic. It's another thing to make guys miss and and find running lanes and have that vision. So, I don't want to go down that road yet, Sean. Yeah, I mean, I think subconsciously, we're all kind of thinking, um, Trace versus half too. And at least a lot of fans are. And I don't know. Uh, you know, Hackenberg, I remember when he was coming up, before he was even at Penn State. And the one thing that worried me about him was he was only completing 50% of his passes in high school. And that kind of alarmed me about him. And that was kind of the first alarm bell that went off for me with Hack. And he had a pretty good freshman year, I, I think. And then, you know, we know what happened after that. Um, but I think there's a good chance that McSorley 
<laughs> I mean, I, I, is at least a little bit better than Prabula, probably a lot better than Prabula. And I'm, he's better. I, I think there's a good chance he's better than Prabula. And I don't mean that as an insult to Bo. I mean that is Chase McSorley is one of the, what did we rate him, in the top five Penn State quarterbacks who ever played here. So it's going to be tough for Bo to, to catch that. Uh, so I don't think it's some given that it's going to be Hack versus Trace part two. Um, I am not in the camp of, hey, let's just play both because we don't want to lose people to the transfer portal first off. Um, and we're going to, this is one of the questions. I'm not convinced he's going to go to the portal uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, he grew up a Penn State fan. Like this is his dream to play at Penn State. And now some of you might be thinking, well, I mean, that's all well and good, but you want to play. Yeah, you do. If Drew Aller only plays two years, I mean, Prabula is going to have maybe two years to be the starter himself. So it's not like he's just going to sit on the bench his whole career. He's going to have to be patient. And that's something rarer and rarer nowadays because the portal's there and, you know, maybe he's good enough to start another place. But if he's willing to be patient and he wants to fulfill that dream of being a Penn State quarterback, then I think he'd be willing to wait. I really do. So I'm not 100% sure he would transfer out. Now, Drew Aller, yeah, I'm about 100% sure he'd transfer out if, if, he, didn't get, if he didn't get the job. That doesn't mean I, I think Prabula shouldn't be the starter if he's better than him. No, I don't think you could, I don't think you could run your program based off fear of who's going to going to transfer you got to play the best guy uh but that's the reality i think aller's gone if he doesn't start where Prabula, i think he'd be willing to stick around yeah i don't think he's gonna go anywhere i really don't either i mean he he came here right i mean it wasn't like it was like oh no drew aller is now here like he he wanted this so yeah i'm with you yeah they came in that. together remember. right so yeah i, I i'm with you 100 there I'll be interested to see kind of, I mean, it's perfect as far as competition, right? I mean, I, I think it is hard to, and I think Franklin said this, it's hard to compare the two and really evaluate the two because they are different and they do bring different things to the table. And I'm not against a Bo Perbula read option with Nick Singleton, but honestly, I haven't seen Bo Perbula get to run in a football game, right? Like I haven't got to see him that's a good point. Like I, I don't like I this idea that he's just like a super athletic quarterback. Like he, I don't think he's gonna be Michael Robinson out there. So like, and I'm excited for all this, but I think I'll feel better about where I stand with Bo Prabila after the blue and white game. You know what I mean? Like we we saw limited stuff then because they weren't able to really have offensive linemen competing constantly because of injuries. They have that depth, knock on wood, right now to be able to have a true scrimmage come april 15th so uh i I'll, i think we'll have a better idea as far as bo Bervilla coming out of the spring and i'm excited for that yeah me too me too um <clears throat> yeah that that's a good point like everybody's just kind of operating from the assumption that he's that that he's gonna run like jalen hurts and i don't know guys <laughs> i mean there's a chance he's a good runner but like you just 
it's hard for me to say, oh, this guy's a great running quarterback or even a good running quarterback before I've even seen him do it. So the blue-white game definitely brings some intrigue this year. Uh, It'll be the first one we have without Sean Clifford since 2016, and we all know Corey's very sad about that. And um, and there's there's going to be, you know, I want to see Malik McClain. Um, I want to see how the middle linebackers have improved, if they've improved. So th- there comes with uh, quite a bit of intrigue. I mean, you got to take everything with a grain of salt in the blue-white game, but I am interested to get a look-see at what the product is. Yeah, I mean, just in general, we don't know what the offense is. Is, he, like, is Yersich going to throw the ball 50 times a game? Like, we talked about this last year around this time. About I hope not. Will Shrews, like, dedicate himself to the run? Because he if if that opportunity presents itself. And to the most Shrews. part, I think he did. Did I say Shrewsbury? Yeah. Oh, God. I think you mean Yersich? Yersich. Lord. <laughs> He's on the mind today. That was bad. Um, <laughs> Yersich, we're like, well, Yersich commits to the run. And I thought he actually did commit to the run when he needed to. And that was a question mark kind of coming in because we, we'd seen Oklahoma State teams and and I guess other places too really throw the ball more than they probably needed to. And, and against certain teams, they probably could have just dominated them on the ground. And now, though, it's one thing when you have Sean Clifford. And limited at least more in comparison than Drew Aller from a from an arm strength perspective. You know, now that you got the the gunslinger back there, like I'm excited to see what they do, right? Because I I think you can take more shots. You can probably run a different assorted route tree to the far side of the field. It's not just a backside post or it's not just a dig, but um, I am. I, I mean, we're probably not going to. We talked to Jay Paterno about that. Like, we're you know, who knows when we'll get to see the offense opened up, but uh, it'll be it'll be exciting to see, Sean. Yeah, yeah, I think it would be a mistake to go to an offense that throws the ball fifty times, uh, even if the Fowler's as good as advertised. In the Big Ten, you want to be able to run the ball. You don't want to get too pass happy. I don't want, I wouldn't want to see Penn State become a Big 12 team. Um, I don't think that is the recipe for winning the Big 10. And my example would be Ohio State. Ohio State has more talent than Michigan, but they get too pass happy and there's not enough commitment to the running. I think when you have two talented backs like we do, I mean, we have two of maybe the top 10 running backs in the country. I think you got to use those guys, <clears throat> even with a talented quarterback like Drew Allen. Um, you know, Bama still ran the ball when they had Tua. Uh, um, Clemson still ran the ball when they had Trevor Lawrence. Um, I think you have to stay committed if you want to win a national championship. So, uh, and that should be our if you want to win a Big Ten championship and certainly a national championship. Uh, there's a reason why Big 12 teams don't do so well in the playoffs. And part of it is if they need a couple of yards on the ground, a lot of times they're throwing to pick those yards up. So I wouldn't want to see us become a, a, a finesse Big 12 team. 
Yeah, it'll be. And I mean, how do you, right? Like, how do you get away from Nick Singleton and Katron Allen? Like, I just. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, let's move on. See if I can find anything else that wasn't. Oh, I thought this one was kind of interesting. I don't know if you saw this one, Sean. If you're Patrick Kraft, do you go to the Big Ten? Since you always start on the road. And once USC and UCLA have joined, start on the road out there in week one or week two. And say, if we're going to play on the road anyway, rather go out there the beginning of the year to start the season than having to go out to USC, UCLA, you know, jam-packed between maybe a Michigan or Ohio State in the in the thick of of the, the schedule. Yeah, I would either want to play USC the first week of Big Ten play, like, or the first week of the season, ideally, or the last week of the season, just because it's it's going to be a it's going to be a pain in the rear end getting out there. Um, and I think that's going to be the reality whenever we're playing UCLA or USC. We're going to, you know, you're probably going to have to leave early. You're probably going to leave, you know, maybe Tuesday instead of Thursday because you have to adjust to the time zone difference. So that already brings you out of your routine. And then you have the time zone difference. And then you got to fly, <clears throat> excuse me, you got to fly back Saturday night. Uh, it's a five-hour flight from State College to LA, so you're gonna get to, you're gonna get to work later on uh, your preparation for for the next week. So yeah, I mean that would be I I would support that. I mean, look, I know Penn State has started on the road what like an absurd amount of times in Big Ten play in the past however many seasons. Um, Personally, I don't think it's as big of a deal as some people make it out to be, um, but I could see how that could be annoying. But I, I have other more pressing concerns with the Big Ten than us starting on the road almost every year. Yeah, uh, I want to say that question was from Parker five six. I would, I mean, I would rather play the LA teams at home. In November, but if I'm going oh, out me there, too. Yeah. if I'm going out there, I would want to play at, at earlier on in the season for sure. Um, this one's from Max Levitz. What's the best I way? I hear to, you. I'm just getting something. Okay. What's the best way to manage the talent, young and old, along the offensive line? And um, I thought this was kind of an interesting question because. When you think of offensive line, even the five-star guys, even the four-star guys, typically are not going to play until their junior, senior year of football. That's just kind of how it's always been. Now, when you don't have as much depth, when you don't have as much talent like Penn State has had previously, you saw some of those guys playing a lot sooner than they usually would. Drew Sheldon's a prime example of that. But typically, that doesn't always happen. Well, now Penn State actually has a, quite a bit of depth. But it is sort of a false false ceiling to a certain degree. Because although they have a lot of depth, a lot of it's going to be leaving after this year. Olu Fashinu, Caden Wallace, Hunter Norzad, Sal Warmly. Just off the top of my head, 
are all going to be gone next year. And I'm sure there's probably more than that. Um, Lennon Tangwall could go if he wants to. So you, you're looking at potentially replacing all five of the offensive starter, offensive lineman starters next year. So you have depth, but you don't have necessarily – you could seriously be going into the following season with five new offensive line starters. So I think it's a good question. Alex Berkmeyer, Javen Williams, I know they're early enrollees. I expect them to play in four games, but I just don't – I just don't see how they break the red shirt. I'm never going to bet on an offensive lineman to break that red shirt um, and, unless injuries become a, a major factor, like for Drew Shelton. Uh, Vega Ione, though, as far as depth, is going to be an interesting guy to pay attention to and, and what kind of starts there. Um, I'm trying to forget. Dawkins, too. Da- Dawkins is a good one, too. I'm trying to think. There's a guy also. Uh, Drew Shelton is is another guy still, right? He, I mean, he's got two more years at least still. He's going to be battling at the right tackle spot with Caden Wallace. If he doesn't get that, though, how much do you try to get him in the game? Is it going to be like last year where they were kind of bouncing back and forth and, and letting both guys play? So um, I'm forgetting another freshman offensive lineman, Sean, from, from the previous year. You know I love Donka. Not now, it's not coming to my head. Um, but Sean, what are your? Sorry, I think you have to try to get those guys in. So, the game. what was the original question? Um, how do you balance the offensive line depth and, and and managing the young and old talent? Yeah. Um, you know, you obviously you got to focus on uh, developing. It would be nice if. You know, we had some early season blowouts to be able to get guys time. And, yeah, I think things like preserving red shirts, it's probably important. Uh, but I would remind everybody, if Williams and Burkmeyer are as good as we think they could be, that red shirt could become a lot less relevant. Uh, they might be leaving after their junior year anyway. So if they're good enough to play, then play them. Uh, the good news is I do think there's enough players in front of them that they probably won't be forced into early playing time, if I had to guess. Uh, I think we're, we have a real too deep at center. I think Dawkins could play from everything that I've heard about him. Uh, he could play behind Hunter Norzad. <clears throat> I think, um, you know, the, the guard spot, you have Nor, you have Sal Warmly, uh, Tangwall, uh, Caden Walls could slide in and play there. Drew Shelton could play there. Um, Norzak could play there. So, yeah, I mean, I do think you have that depth that you need uh, to be able to preserve those red shirts, if that's important to you. Um, and they might just flat out be better players right now than uh, Burke Meyer and Javen Williams and Anthony Donka. So, yeah, I mean, play them. I would like to see them play in four games and preserve that red shirt uh, if possible. Uh, but that would also require us being ahead in blowouts. So uh, we also have to – that would be nice, too. I hope we have as many – I hope every game is a blowout. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how I think you have to do it. Yeah, it would be interesting. Uh, Nate Bruce, I think, is still part of Penn State's offensive line, right? No. No? Bruce is gone. No, he, he, he left um, – I think he actually – Left football. Oh, missed that one. 
Did I miss yeah. that one? Yeah, he uh, he came in with Tengwall, I believe. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he he retired from football. I missed that one. Um, I was just trying to think of other guys that maybe. Uh, there's Golden Israel Achumba. Yep. And Ibrahim Traore. I think Golden Israel Achumba. I think he's a very good singer, by the way. I think I heard him singing. He's got some pipes. Yeah, no, he uh, sang that John Legend song. But, yeah. Uh, anywho, I, I really did like that question. Um, I haven't. I don't know why I couldn't find. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's been gone. Yeah, I don't know why I missed that one. I thought he was still there. Um, okay, thanks for the clarification, Sean. Is there any other questions I want? Somebody made a funny joke saying, wait, my fan questions? I have fans? How cool is that? You guys just should go on. Oh, we hit 5,000 followers on Twitter, by the way. So thank you guys for that. So we have over 5,000 fans, even though all 5,000 of those people are not fans of ours. No, no. <laughs> Definitely not. But yeah. that so comes to territory. Fact, that's true. <laughs> so, so so comes the territory um we we're trying to keep this to a shorter ish episode like i said we'll be back next week to uh to to break down season preview if you will spring cleaning if you will and and talk a bunch we're going to wrap up with a, a fantasy draft sean yes sir you up for that i'm ready Get rid of that good old thing. Oh, we have some YouTube questions. Uh, Nate Wilson, I think the bigger issue was having your first game of the season as a road game in the Big Ten three years in a row. Well, I think the, the Big Ten road game has been, was it six to the last seven? Is that what it was? If something crazy stupid. like that, yeah. Something bad like that. Um, Two reasons I asked that. Oh, Robert Parker's on YouTube, and he said two reasons I asked that was because of uh, the California kids coming to visit, and doesn't Penn State and UCLA rivalry make sense? Yeah. So yeah, Robert Parker yeah. also clarified the Nate Bruce thing for us. Um, I I've heard rumors that they're really trying to push a UCLA Nebraska rivalry. That, that that's what I've heard. For whatever that means. I, I would be really surprised if Penn State's not playing USC every year. I, I just you, when you're looking at Penn State's never going to matter more to Ohio State or Michigan than one another, and you could say the Land Grant Trophy is what is what it is. Mich or Penn State and Maryland and Rutgers is never going to be anything. Maybe in 150 years from now, but besides Iowa, who you know I hate, suck at Spencer Lee. You're a quitter and a loser. And so is your mom, apparently. <laughs> boom roasted. Boom ro boom roasted. Um, my girlfriend actually knows her knows his family personally. Was the mom always a sore loser? Um, she said her mom was, you know, okay. She didn't really know her that she knew her a little bit because she used to hang out with her daughter, um, who did chorus with her, but yeah, she said she was, you know, she was there. But, yeah, she knew them personally. So a little fun fact for you. 
I don't know. She, I don't think she knew her glasses though, which have been destroyed. And rest in uh, peace to those things. Um, But besides Iowa, I just don't see, you know, Penn State's still yearning for that. And I've talked about this before, actually, before I made the correct pick of Penn State going to the Rose Bowl, although I had USC playing Penn State. I was like, Lincoln Riley versus James Franklin is something that could be something fun to watch for decades to come. And so we'll see. We'll see. I, I would personally rather play USC than UCLA every year. But that's just me. That'll be interesting, though. I, I do think there's a lot of guys in this upcoming class. And I know we haven't hit recruiting as hard yet. Um, we'll get there. Probably not next week, but the week after. Um, there's a lot of kids that just came this past week, by the way, like 60-something people. Oh, I do have a story I want to tell before we get into the, the draft, Sean. Um, but... Yeah, I, I think I'd take, I would take, uh, oh, I was going back to that point, yes. So, yes, I could see the benefits of getting out there and recruiting and getting some of those guys to see Penn State more. That'd be that'd be fantastic. For sure, for sure. Uh, it open, That's one of the benefits of getting the two L.A. schools is it does open up a new recruiting mar- uh, market for you. Penn State hasn't pulled their recruit out of California since Cole Farmer, and that was forever ago. So... I think that's kind of an untapped area for us. And, um, yeah, I mean, USC just has more prestige than UCLA at football. Uh, So from that perspective, I think it would be better to have some sort of rivalry with them. I mean, the thing about Penn State is we're never going to be anyone's primary rival in the Big Ten. Like, USC and UCLA are still going to have each other. Uh, And that's something I could live with. I'm all right with being hashtag PS unrivaled um, because it, in my lifetime, we never had a real rival. I mean, I know people could say Pitt, but um, we, pay, we played Pitt, what, four times in the last 20 years. I mean, at a certain point, is it a real rival, rivalry if you don't play them? And I know for our Yinzers out here that are Penn State fans, I mean, the Pitt-Penn State rivalry does mean something. And the our older fans, it does mean something. But in my lifetime, we haven't played them a whole lot. Um, and I think to have a rivalry, you got to play. And um, I'm all right with not having a real rival. That's, that's, that's just me, though. I think it kind of makes Penn State unique. Um, and... I've always had fun watching Penn State when we're good, and I'm all right with not being anybody's primary rival. Besides, I hate Notre Dame more than more than Pitt anyway. Sorry, I'm trying to find this, so I want to get this right. Um, let's see if this is the right guy. So I was at dinner the other day. Um, see if I can find them real quick. So Did I was at dinner. see you and yell at, yell at you? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, this has got to be him. And, and there was a recruit there. Let's see if this is him or not. I feel like an idiot if I get this. I think that's him. 
Oh, man. I might have to wait to drop the story because I cannot. Obviously, he just visited, but um, I could not for life of me find this guy all of a sudden. Sorry, everybody. I was trying to find something cool. I had a really cool story to show. But unfortunately. Oh, this has to. March 17th was when? This past weekend? Yeah, this has to be him. Okay. Found who I want to. Yep, found him. Cool. All right. It's worth the wait. So we're at dinner. And we see this guy wearing a Don Bosco prep sweatshirt his dad's wearing it and i was like oh pretty good school down in new jersey and tall guy i was like okay whatever and we're sitting there we're actually waiting to be sat so we're waiting out front and these old ladies walk in and before i can even sit up or or, or get out of the way to let these old ladies wait while they're waiting for their table this young man charlie lamort Stan shoots up and, and offers his seat to the old ladies. And it cracked me up because the old ladies put him on a spot. He turned red. She turned up and said, are you only doing this because I'm old? And I started dying. But just uh, wanted to give him a shout out. He'll probably never see this. But Charlie Lamore, um respect to you and, and being a good good human being. Class of 2025 just, just came here, was just here this past week. I don't think... He has an offer yet from Penn State, but um, he's, he visited Michigan before, so he's uh, he's someone to keep an eye on. But I thought that was just kind of a cool little, cool little thing. That is cool. That was something my mother always instilled in me too. That if you see um, if you see older people, uh, especially older women, always get up your seat for them. So that's cool. I mean, that's that's a neat story and. Maybe he'll be in it anyway. Maybe we'll be talking to him someday. Maybe he'll be a guest picker in, in the 2030s. <laughs> yeah, I love how you're already lining those up. Well, well, I always have, like, rosters of guest pickers. I already have, like, complete roster, potential guest pickers for us. I've always really? texted Corey. I'm like, we got to get this guy out as a guest picker. And, like, and they're, they're just, like, random people. <laughs> um, like James Franklin has his list of people who, like, he wants to get as, like, his assistant coaches. Our list is just guest pickers that we want to get. Uh, all right. So I want to be very clear before we start this that tonight we're drafting best Penn State interactions with players or coaches. And I want it could be any sort of personal like antidote. But I want to be very clear on two things. Number one, it's not like the best games we just attended because I think that could be its own category, Sean. Um, and then I also want to say that this was not my idea, although I have good stories. Uh, DKW, I believe, tweeted at us a little bit ago and said, hey, like this is, you know, if you guys are looking for ideas for drafts, he's like, you guys have told some funny stories about yelling at receivers at Taco Bell. Like, you know, why don't you draft your top five list? And I thought, yeah, that's a pretty good idea. So that's what we're going to go with tonight. Um. Also, partly because we're a little scared to do some more positions because we're now getting to the the ones everyone's going to yell at us for and are just honestly super duper tough to do. So anyway, I wanted to preface that before we get started, preface it before we get started. 
I guess I can get the coin toss out. Did you coin toss or did I coin toss last time? You called it last time. I did. Okay. All right. Go ahead. Here. Heads. Mm, I can't tell. It is tails. All right, you go first. <laughs> I tails, can see. I think. Yep. Um, shoot. Okay, well, it's not like we can take them from each other, so. Although I feel like I've won a bunch. Yeah, you have. It's put me at a disadvantage. <laughs> the coin toss has been in my favor. Um, I haven't put the other one. I haven't put last. Although week's last week I got my number one. I last week I got my number one pick. True. Okay. Well, let me. Uh, I will record this for the sake of recording it. Penn State football personal interactions with players or coaches. Time to rank them. Sean lost the coin toss. I have the first pick. With my first pick, all-time moment for me for a lot of different reasons. But it was a the 2016 Penn State-Ohio State game, and we stormed the field. When we first get there, there's bleachers there, and like, wow, the athletic department really believes that we're going to win this game because they want people to get down off the, the, the stands safely. So that was the first big indication that they believed enough that they thought we needed to set up a way for the students to get down safely. Um, our one buddy, G Wiz, bad hip. So we actually like the the uh, security people actually like let us get him down onto the field before the game had even finished. So we're on the field before the final kneel down even. So I I'm not kidding you when I say I'm probably one of the first 10 people on the field that day because I'm on the field before the clock is even hit zero and um G was slips and falls in the end zone and I turn around to like pick him up and there's just a wave of white already coming I'm like well I just lost a friend but I'm going to keep going but the interaction that I wanted to uh to share and I think I've said this before on the show um just out of pure chance Back when Coach Spencer, the defensive line coach, was at Penn State, the Wild Dogs, he really took to to the Nittanyville folks and the campers there. And just, I, I mean, when, when the game was over, everyone just celebrated and just ran and found someone to embrace. I mean, that's just the best way to put it. And just so happens that Coach Spencer, Coach Chaos, and I run into each other. And that guy jumped into my arms. and wrapped his legs around me as if like he was a fan and I I'm just sitting there like, and I'm literally like, it was, it was quick, but it was like a moment of embrace. And he literally jumped into my arms and I'm like, just we're screaming and we're yelling. And like, you know, obviously campers, Nittanyville campers did not sacrifice the same amount as coaches and players did, but there was a moment of like, Holy crap. And I'm sure a lot of fans probably felt that way that day, just about like, a breakthrough moment like we're doing this and that was like a shared just energy vibe for that split second then we just looked at each other 
And then we just went screaming in a different direction to embrace somebody else. And I feel like that was just a percolating thing across that entire field that night. Um, but it's something that I will never forget because it was, I mean, it just culminated everything. So that to me, because of the situation, obviously, but that moment, I'll never forget that. Yeah. Um, so I'll tell, uh, the same story, so this will be my number one, too. The same story, according to Sean, um, also the 2016 Ohio State game. Um, so, Corey obviously didn't let me go. Corey was the president let me go. He wasn't the president yet, but um, I knew Corey already from, from it because he was good friends with our, with our buddy Mike, and, um, you know, I knew him from Mike, so... I still knew Corey a little bit at that point. And, you know, I hadn't done Nittanyville at all. I'd never sat uh, front row. So Mike, being an officer from Nittanyville at the time, had a certain allotment of tickets uh, for the front row. So um, his his now wife, then his girlfriend, uh, Alex, her sister, uh, was a student at Penn State at the time. And she couldn't make it down that week. And she usually sat with them in 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 their in their section. So um, Mike asked me, he said, "Do you want do you want to sit with us?" And I said, "Sure." So I um I didn't expect to win. I mean, I'm just being honest. But I was like, you know, I'll be in the front row, and if we ever win, it's gonna be crazy. So we get there early. I get my wristband and everything, as Corey knows he do, and um. <laughs> And we get in around 4.30, and it's just so cool to be in the front row and just see the whole stadium fill up behind you, in front of you, and everybody's wearing white. And the game starts, and, uh, you know, we're close in the first half, and then the third quarter happens, and it starts raining. And I was so... Everybody knows now that I'm kind of a baby when it comes to rain and cold, I was starting to get cold because I because the game was 21-7 and you just felt like we're gonna like lose this game 24-10, aren't we? And then stuff starts happening and stuff slowly starts happening, and then we win. Well, then we're in the lead. So it's so we're up 24-21. We stop JT Barrett, we get the ball back, so it's obvious we're gonna win. So everybody around me is saying, we're not storming. We're not storming. I don't know if that was the same where Corey was sitting, but that was like the consensus in that little, that little row that we were in. We don't, we're not storming the field. We're going to get in so much trouble if we storm the field. Well, everybody started pushing us from behind. So we, at some point said, well, we have no choice. So we all sat on, we, we all jumped over the, 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 the front gate there knowing that we had to do it. And as soon as Trace knelt down, we all jumped and we all ran. And, I mean, it's one of those things that, you know, especially if you're a young person, a lot of times you you, you don't take time to look around and really appreciate what happened. And I made sure I looked around that night because I was like, I'm never experiencing this again in my life. Like, I, I know it. It was my senior year. It was one of my last times in the student section, so I really wanted to take time and just 
like a slow, I, I think I was the slowest walker that night just because I was just looking around just, and we're saying the alma mater on the field. We're embracing the players. The players are saying the alma mater with us. I mean, it was, it, it was an amazing night. And if you think I went out and partied after, I did not. I actually went home and went to sleep because I was so tired from that day. So, yeah. Um, and then that propelled us to a Big Ten championship from there, which I think we'll be talking about soon. Yeah, that just uh, fantastic. Thought we would have something similar to that again in 2018, and that's where my next pick's going to come in. Not because of the game itself, but there's a tradition at Nittanyville to have a, a drum line beforehand the, the the day. I think it was actually the Thursday before. I want to say it was Thursday before the game when a lot of the players came up, and it was um, it was a cool moment because there was a bunch of players with us, but we actually led in a bunch of Penn State fight songs and with a, a bunch of seniors that were, you know, doing that for the last time, really. Uh, but Trace was there. Tommy was there. Um, and they were just hanging out as if they were just college kids. And I just go back to that quite a bit. Like, they don't get to really get to be college kids very much anymore. But in that moment when just 200-something came, I guess it was probably more than that. It was probably like, 800 campers but 800 campers and a, just a bunch of football players actually hanging out as just college football players and college just 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 college kids that was cool and just singing songs and and messing around playing you know games it just there's something about that they didn't seem like they were going to be nfl players it didn't seem like they were going to be anything other than just just college kids at that moment so Got to talk to a bunch of them, got to hang out with a bunch of them, and that was kind of it, right? Like, things changed forever after that. They obviously didn't win that game, um, but obviously you don't have those moments for every game, and that was that was the last one. So, um, additionally, let's throw in there, too, the, the Nittanyville documentary, I think, that uh, Penn Live did was was also that week which was pretty pretty sweet too so that was all that was just a good time but really that drum line the band cheerleaders pl players are all up there it was it was just pretty pretty sweet yeah that's awesome and like being in nittanyville you guys <clears throat> were as connected to the players as almost anybody on campus um you know because when you when you go to school you do see the guys um but you you're just like you're not just gonna walk up to them and go, hey, I'm Sean. <laughs> They're gonna be like, all right, see ya. <laughs> um, but speaking of that, I do have my funniest interaction with the player. Well, I'll, you'll probably say Deshaun Hamilton, but like, just like, and this probably doesn't top it, but um, so I'm living at Beaver Hall my junior year. So the freshmen live at Beaver Hall. And I get on the elevator to go up to my dorm. Manny Balling gets on the elevator. So Manny, you know, or just, I, I saw his name tag, so I knew who he was. Uh, this is before he was really playing a whole lot. <laughs> so I get off at the sixth floor. They lived on the seventh or eighth floor. Manny gets off with me. 
weird. And then I just hear him go, oh, shit. <laughs> he ran in the elevator. He got off on the wrong floor. And I just, I was just chuckling at myself. I was like, this guy. <laughs> so um, that was one of my, like, just like, like I said, I don't think it tops the Deshaun Hamilton story, which I'll get into for those of you who haven't heard it. But it's still a pretty funny story, in my opinion. I had heard that before. You did hear it before? No, I haven't. Yeah. Yeah, so that was uh, my only interaction ever with Manny Dolan. Okay, my my next pick... I don't know if you know this story or not, but um, it's one summer and the Penn State was giving out their posters. I think this was before. I, I want to say this was before the 2017 season because, yeah. I don't think it was before the 2016 season. I'll have to double check. Uh, oh, yeah, it was before the 2016 season. Yeah. Yep, it was. It was before the 2016 season. Penn State had hired Joe Moorhead, but obviously we didn't know how good or great he was going to be. Um, and they were giving out those, their posters and, like, the scheduled posters. And Joe Moorhead said some, tweeted something on Twitter about, hey, you know, we got posters given away here. And I tweeted at him. And I said, hey, can you drop one off, one off at my house? Just all jokes aside. Dude messages me on Twitter and says, where do you live? And Joe Moorhead shows up to my house in a green polo. I don't remember. I don't think he actually came in my house. Ah, I don't remember if he came in or we just talked outside. Um, I was actually like dumping my garbage out and like he pulled up and in this car and just standing there. And if you guys don't like never seen Joe Moorhead in person, he's a really tall dude. He's just standing there his green polo. I'm like, who? And then I realized who it was. I'm like, holy crap. He actually brought me stuff. And he brought me multiple sign uh, schedules and shook my hand and talked to me. Said, hey, thanks for supporting us, blah, blah, blah. And obviously that run, you know, Nittanyville being that close and Joe Moorhead, like, I don't, again, don't say we have a, like a, like a personal relationship with Joe Moorhead, but He's often given us a lot of his time to to talk about things and responds to us whenever we talk. He was actually, you know, when he was at Oregon before COVID hit, he was going to help me out and get me tickets to the Oregon-Ohio State game. I was going to go see some of my buddies before COVID happened. So um, Joe Moorhead just randomly kind of went out of his way one day to drop off posters before the 2016 season and has kind of just hung around and and is at least kind enough to respond to our DMs all because <laughs> all because he showed up at my house one day. So uh I mean any dude that's as chill as that, I mean didn't have to do anything like that. Kind of insane that he did do stuff like that. Um and then after that was history, right? Then became a head coach and has been around and now at Akron, but that's why we'll always be big Joe Moorhead fans on the show. Joe Moorhead went to your house. <laughs> yes. That that is pretty cool. That I I I am I am impressed. All right. So you mentioned Coach Chaos, and I actually forgot this happened. 
but I had a Twitter interaction with Coach Chaos back in 2014. So I was 19. And me being a 19-year-old, I was looking for some clout. So I tweeted at Coach Chaos. I said, I'm, I'm reading it right from Twitter. I got a paper to finish and exam and an exam tomorrow. I need a I need a Coach Chaos pep talk to fire me up and I tag Coach Chaos in it. He goes, "You've prepared for this moment all week long. This reward is victory. Nothing more, nothing less. Go get a dog." So Coach Chaos did tweet me back and I said, "Thanks, Coach. Go get this dub this Saturday." Uh, I I it was November 2014. I'm gonna say we didn't get the dub, but I also don't know who we played so. Uh, if you give me a second, I'll look up who we played that day. But yeah, yeah, that was my one Coach Chaos interaction. <laughs> he used to respond a bunch on Twitter to people. Yeah, he he was very active on Twitter. He was just such a cool guy. Yeah, I, I do miss Coach Chaos. Writing that down. Yeah, no, I, I mean, he responded more than than most coaches do. Um, I think a lot of coaches are on there snooping more than people realize, but. Oh, yeah. And, play, and players as well. Um, yeah. Did you find the day? What game it was? Oh, we lost. Oh. We lost to Illinois in 2014 a couple of days later. So we, we did not get that dub on Saturday. That's real nice. That, that um, was one of the worst games I've ever watched in my life. So. <laughs> We didn't score very many points that day, did we? 16-14. Yeah, I thought it was something stupid like that. I think it's when I started realizing, like, wow, Hack just might not have it. Oh. <laughs> I couldn't even remind you of one play from that game. I, I really don't remember anything from it. Yeah, we. I think we had the lead late, and then we let it get away from us, if I remember correctly. We, we played horrible that whole day. It was not a fun game to watch. <laughs> Sounds about right. Uh, my next season, just awful. Yeah, 2015 wasn't that much more fun either. Um, no. With my fourth pick, I'm going to go with Kyle Vasey, long snapper from Penn State. Uh, I actually had a Cast 100 class in the summer with Kyle, Peyton Banks, and Vince. Uh, Vince, oh, what he's a hockey player. Vince um, Petrie, Pete. We have to look that up. A lot of the athletes obviously were were in Cast 100 in the summer because they were there all summer anyway. Petrie, who looks like is still playing football or playing football, playing hockey still, maybe. Um, anyway. Oh, he went to the Rangers for a little bit, but I think he's done now. Anyway, uh, but uh, yeah, probably. Uh, Kyle Vasey kind of kept a little bit of a relationship with me. I'd say a pretty good relationship. And believe it or not, Sean was the very first person I ever recorded a podcast as a a guest. He was the very first guest. He came over to my house. I want to say it was the summer... I want to say it was the summer of my senior year or, or spring of my senior year. And we recorded a podcast. I don't even think it ever got published, to be honest with you. Um, 
but we spoke and we talked for like an hour and a half. He, um, we recorded him long snapping and hitting like a water bottle off of a, like from 40 feet away off of a chair. Like he was doing trick shots with, 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 uh, long snaps. It was really cool. Um, and there's no reason absolutely at all for why he came over and did that for us. But we, we had a lot a really long conversation about what he planned on doing next, you know, what it was going to take to get to the NFL. I mean, it was a really good conversation. He had a lot of awesome stories about obviously Penn state football too. Again, no reason absolutely at all for him to, to go out of his way. He spent like an entire Sunday afternoon just bullshitting with us and, and, and talking about football and, and whatnot. So um, Kyle Vasey coming at number four for me. Sounds like a guest picker if I've ever heard one. That's true. We should get Kyle Vasey on here for we got to remember that. That's a that's a really good guest picker. Yep. Yeah. Let's do it. Um. <clears throat> all right. So my next one. Uh, just so I um my first two years of college, the first year I spent at a place called Marywood University, which is in Scranton. Uh. Nice little private school. Uh, but then literally about a week in, I realized I wanted to go to Penn State. So then finished the year out, and then I went to Penn State Scrant, Penn State Worthington, uh, which is now Penn State Scranton. And then the last two years, I went to Penn State, Maine. So I just moved into Penn State, Maine. And like I said, I'm in Beaver Hall, and I'm like, oh, this is cool. The bed arrangement is a little weird, but this is so cool that I live here. And I hear what sounds like James Franklin out my window. Like, that voice is very, very familiar. And he's yelling at someone. Actually, not yelling at us, surprisingly, but he's yelling at someone else. And um, he's, I just hear, I just hear, um, why are you wearing an Illinois shirt? You're at Penn State. I'm like, that's James Franklin. So I look out the window and there's James Franklin her, <laughs> yelling at this kid who looks like he's moving in his brother, if I had to guess. And he's wearing an Illinois University shirt. And Franklin's just giving him a hard time because the football players, for those of you who don't know, they help, they always help uh, students on campus move in. So Franklin was there and he was either overseeing it or helping himself, uh, helping other kids move in himself. So I just thought that was cool because, you know, Franklin, that's him. <laughs> like it, you can't wear red inside a lash and um you know if they see you wearing a different a different team shirt on Penn State's campus yeah they're gonna give you a hard time and I'm cool with it because it's a fun little thing and he'll he'll break people's balls for it and I mean the kid the, the kid then gets to say that forever James Franklin gave him a hard time for wearing an Illinois shirt so I think everybody wins in, in that um in that scenario so I just that is like, oh man, I'm really here. There's James Franklin. <laughs> that's awesome. That's a good way to get kind of acclimated to being at State College. I tell you, I cannot wait to be home and not doing this from the road. Recording all this from the road is is a pain. Um, with my final pick, I'm gonna stick with James Franklin. That's a really good segue, actually, to Nittanyville. And I think we only did this once or twice. But uh, they, James Franklin hosts a, a, a Q&A with all of the campers in Lash. And we sat down in the team meeting area. And the one time, I want to say this, my, I think you guys still might have been in school because I think it was my sophomore or junior year. I think it might have been my junior year. 
Well, no, it might have been my sophomore year. But uh, we were sitting there, and I'm not kidding you, James Franklin spent over an hour, I'm talking an hour and a half, maybe hour 45 minutes, answering every random question that a bunch of students could could come up and conjure up for this guy. I mean, think about how tight his schedule is and, and how many things he wants to get done today and all the things he wants to do. And he took almost two hours out of his time. So, like, they showed, like, a recruiting video to us. They showed us, like, you know, well, they showed us around the facilities and stuff, too. And, again, this was probably, like, I don't know, eight years ago now. But um, six, six to eight years ago. And – they answered all the questions that, like, again, all these kids could come up with about this, about that. I asked a really dumb question about why we don't kick the ball. i never forget. He got so pissed at me. I straight up asked him why we don't kick the ball to, like, the five-yard line. This is back before you could fair catch things and kickoffs. Like, why we don't kick the ball to the five-yard line like Ohio State does and then, you know, pin the pin the opponent deep. And he hated that question because I brought up Ohio State, too. And he, he straight up was like, well, there's more to it than just, you know – but I always wondered that, like, why don't we do that more? Like, Ohio State does a good job of getting them inside the 20, and yet we didn't do that very much back then. But I think that was because of the lack of depth. But um, but he got so pissed about that question. But, no, I mean, he he often, too, about the Illinois thing, he guy was wearing a red sweatshirt. I think he went and got him. Like, they just have free shirts somewhere in, like, a, in a box. And I'm pretty sure he found a, an extra large shirt and threw it to the guy and said, put this shirt on, like, take like, – cover up your red shirt. Like you're going to wear this shirt for the rest of the meeting. Cause I don't want to see that red shirt that you're wearing. It wasn't even an Ohio state shirt, just a red shirt in general. Um, but I will never forget that. Like probably why I have a little bit of a soft spot for James Franklin, but he did go out of his way to make a connection, to bring those guys and the, you know, those people into the kind of the Penn state family. And do I always agree with how they go about certain things and how they kind of try to exclude, you know, and, and try to, play shell defense with all the news that comes out i get why they do it but um in that moment he didn't really owe any of those students anything and he and he gave up his his time which is a lot more valuable than ours and also his resources to kind of just i'm I'm guessing every single one of those people that were in those facilities that night are probably huge penn state fans for the rest of their lives and probably will never forget that so um just just something cool about what James Franklin maybe does behind the scenes that people don't realize. There's plenty of stories like that. I mean, you go down the list. He does stuff like that all the time. If you go to the radio show, I think it's at the field now. Um, but, I mean, just that, that kind of stuff, he's a master at it. That's what You see why he's such a good recruiter. The way he – he would make people, Sean, freshman uh, woman there who – maybe never watch a Penn State football game in her life yet. And she would ask a pretty maybe dumb question about something. And the way he listened to their question, the way like he like thought about her question before answering, you can see why he's such a good recruiter. And and you can say, oh, it's just car salesman stuff, but he's got it down perfectly. So it's just something I'll never forget. Yeah, he's a very personable guy. And uh, there's no question about that. Like he's, uh, he could be, I mean, <laughs> he could be very charming. He could be very kind to people. And I think around the community, people have observed that. Like you don't hear a lot of people going, um, and you know, we hear from a lot of people saying that uh, James Franklin was such a jerk to me at 
this point in time. Or I had a bad interaction with James Franklin. You really don't hear that. Like, he's really embraced the community. He kind of makes everybody feel like they're a part of it. Because in his mind, I think he really does believe that everybody's a part of it. Um, and that you need you need the community. And the community is part of why he's why he makes the big bucks, you know what I mean? And he knows that as many problems as he has with the athletic department, he knows the fans want to be great. He knows the fans want to get to that level. It's just the athletic department, it's the board of trustees. It's a whole apparatus that he has to be able to overcome. Um, But I think he knows that the fans hunger for another national championship is there. And, uh, he, he's always using terms like we need everybody pulling in the right direction. And <laughs> that's a little, I think he defines pulling in the right direction maybe a little differently than we do. And that I think his definition of pulling in the right direction is, well, you're going to listen to me when it comes to injuries and things things like that and we have to keep injuries hush hush and we have to be really we have to be like the pentagon and if you're uh when it comes to injury information if you're not about that then you're not pulling the rope in the right direction uh so we might have different definitions but he realizes the importance of the community like he came from vanderbilt where he had to literally go to frat houses and beg the frat guys and beg the people at the parties to go to the games so that's where he came from at vanderbilt so here, when he got to Penn State, it's just night and day. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to talk about that a little bit. But my last pick, I'm going to have to do the Deshaun Hamilton story. Because, to me, it's the funniest one, and it's it's the best one. So this was twenty the winter semester 2017. So we already won the Big Ten. Uh, I'm a senior. I was just at the first all night and I'm pretty intoxicated. So we want McDonald's. Uh, McDonald's is a pretty short walk from the first, just down, down the street a little bit. And I see Deshaun Hamilton walking out of McDonald's. So he is about, he's a good distance away from me, probably about 15 yards away from me. So me in a drunken state just yelled Deshaun Hamilton in the middle of the street. And Deshaun, to his credit, turns right around, walks over to us, and has like a full five to ten minute conversation with us. And couldn't be friendlier. Uh, just really, You could just tell like a really nice kid. And he ended up getting a picture with all of us. I'm going to have to look for that picture somewhere because it does exist um, of me and um, – like I said, Mike, his now wife Alex, and our and our other roommate Kayla. Um, so he couldn't have been nicer to us, and you know he didn't have to do that. He could have just kept walking or been like, "Drunk guy, it's time to go home," or you know, been a smartass to me. But he wasn't, and I thought. And, and as funny as that was, and as fun as, as funny as you know, as much of a scene as I made, Deshaun just handled it with such class, and I thought it was really cool. Yeah, because he didn't have to. <laughs> no, he could have been like, F off, and kept walking, or just kept walking and pretend like he didn't hear me. 
And I wouldn't have blamed him either way, but he handled it in the best way that he could. So I think that speaks a lot to who he is as a person, too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, we said this was going to be a short show and ended up being two hours, but I do want to cut it off now before um, it goes any further. We'll be back next week. Huge spring preview. Um, going to talk a lot about Penn State football position battles. Um, we're going to go into the weeds a little bit. So it, 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 I'm really looking forward to it because it's like basically what we do for the start of the season, but we're going to do it to go into the spring. So this is the next time we do this after what we do it next week will be before the season starts, which is pretty cool. You think about it like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, then practice will be here and then we'll be really recruiting heavy and then we'll start taking the season. So. Gotta be here shorter than you think. Yeah, yeah, we're uh, April, once you hit April, it feels closer too, doesn't it? Like in March, it still kind of feels. But anyway, um, that's all I got, Sean. Any final thoughts? No, I think we're good. All right. Well, for Sean Kane, I'm Corey Listoke. You've been listening to Hardcore Penn State Football. Until next time, bye everybody. Have a good night.